Hi, welcome back to Subject Across. I am Pete Kratza with co-host... Caroline Donato. How did I do? You did well. Thank you. All right. And today, what we are going to teach you about is Marcy's Law and the importance of Marcy's Law, what's going on with Mar- Marcy's Law, and, oh, geez, I just stuttered. What's going on with Marcy's Law? It's like Marcy's you're trying to law. say quid pro quo. Uh, we're going to tell you what Marcy's Law even means. Um, so... Marcy's Law is a proposed constitutional amendment in Pennsylvania. It would be under Article 1, Section 9.1. That is the proposal. And what it is generally is giving certain constitutional rights to alleged victims and their families uh, of crimes. Um, And that, on its face, seems fine. But there's a lot more to this proposal than what first meets the eye. And we're recording this episode on November 1st, 2019. And it's particularly important because uh, a question is going to be put on the ballots on November 5th, 2019, pertaining to this constitutional amendment proposal. Uh, What's also important is two days ago on October 30th, uh, there was a preliminary injunction granted by the Commonwealth Court of Pennsylvania, uh, which means that no matter what the vote on Tuesday, November 5th, those votes will not be certified. And um, basically, until this litigation plays out, I'll actually read the email. Um, The Commonwealth Court has granted our request for a preliminary injunction in League of Women Voters versus, how do you say that, Bukvar? The vote on the Marcy's Law constitutional amendment will not be certified while our litigation goes forth, and if we win, we'll never be certified. So we want to. That was from the deputy director of the ACLU, I believe. Yes. Deputy legal director. Deputy legal director Mary Catherine Roper. Um, And we want to talk to you about Marcy's Law, what it means, what it's requesting, and why it was preliminarily stopped from being certified on November 5th, despite the votes. So the background of Marcy's Law is, well, generally, on June 14th of 2019, this constitutional uh, amendment was drafted um, by Senate bill, uh, and then the Secretary of Pennsylvania prepared text for the ballot. And... The text for the ballot says this. Shall the Pennsylvania Constitution be amended to grant certain rights to crime victims, including to be treated with fairness, respect and dignity, considering their safety in bail proceedings, timely notice and opportunity to take part in public proceedings, reasonable protection from the accused, right to refuse discovery requests made by the accused, restitution and return of property, proceedings free from delay, and to be informed of these rights so they can enforce them. That is what everyone will see on Tuesday, November 5th. Sounds reasonable enough. It does sound reasonable. But Pete, is it? No. No, it's not. So we're going to explain to you why it's not the issues pertaining to this uh, proposed constitutional amendment. First and foremost, there's already the Pennsylvania Crime Victims Act which does protect victims in Pennsylvania. So in a sense, this is a little redundant. Um, But this constitutional proposal goes so far as to really 
affect um, the accused rights in criminal cases. And we'll tell you what we mean by that. Specifically the presumption of innocence, the right to confront and uh, uh, cross-examine your accuser. Um, right it, to discovery. Right to discovery. Uh, it, it presumes that someone's a victim before there is ever any finding of guilt, right? Right. Yeah. But let's go through each issue um, alleged in this litigation by the League of Women Voters and Lorraine Hall. So let me back up a second. In the Commonwealth, of, Commonwealth Court of Pennsylvania, which is one of our appellate courts, um, I think we told you the structure of our court system. It's district courts, then it's the Court of Common Pleas in every county, and then it's two appellate courts, either the Superior Court or the Commonwealth Court, and then it bridges back up to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And the Commonwealth Court is the court that heard this case. Uh, it's more of an administrative procedural appeal. Wouldn't you say, Pete? Yes. I'm just trying to get you, get you involved. I'd love that. <laughs> this is great. This is easy. <laughs> okay. And Pete just, you know, is drinking his coffee, had a nice tiramisu, and is sitting back and relaxing. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. So the plaintiff, or excuse me, the petitioners in this case is the League of Women Voters of Pennsylvania. And the League is a nationwide nonpartisan grassroots organization that believes that through informed action, people can make profound changes in their communities. And the goal of the League is to help create an informed, empowered citizenry and a responsible, responsive government. And one way the League works to fulfill its mission is through education and awareness of election and voting issues. That's one of the petitioners, and that's in a footnote um, noted in the opinion filed on October 30th, 2019 by the Commonwealth Court of Pennsylvania. And the other They're doing their job here. Yeah, definitely. The other petitioner is Lorraine Haw. Ms. Haw, as is noted in the opinion, is a resident and registered voter in the Commonwealth. She alleges that her brother was murdered and her son is serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Ms. Haw seeks to free her son and her brother's murderer from what she calls, quote, deaths by incarceration, unquote. Ms. Haw uh, also has a criminal record for which she is seeking a pardon. She is concerned about what will happen to her request for a pardon if a purported victim of her crimes comes forward to object to her pardon request. The petition for review alleges that Ms. Hall agrees with some parts of the proposed constitutional amendment, but disagrees with others, and she cannot separately vote on each right the proposed amendment would establish. So really what these two petitioners are saying is the way the ballot question is phrased, it's not clear to the voters deciding on whether or not it should be a proposed constitutional amendment what it actually means. Um, Ms. Hall is saying there's too many things in the ballot proposal. And actually, I think I counted nine. We'll yeah, and, and what they're banking on is that you read the first sentence. You know, what's the first sentence the first of the sentence, ballot proposal? Yeah, it's saying that crime victims should be treated with fairness, respect, and dignity. Oh, well, should, should puppies be petted? I mean, you know, <laughs> that people are going to read that and they're going to say, oh, yeah, you know, that, yeah, sounds, that, that sounds like a great idea. But that already happens. Um, so then there are a couple parties, or at least one party, who's an intervener. And that is our colleague, Ronald L. Greenblatt. Um, and he is aligned with the petitioners. So he is aligned with the League of Women Voters and Lorraine Hall. And Ron actually testified before the Commonwealth Court about the practical 
and actual procedural issues that will stem from this constitutional amendment coming into effect. He's a colleague of ours through PACDL. Yes. He doesn't work with us. Right, right, right. He's um, one of our fellow criminal defense attorneys, and PACDL is the Pennsylvania Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. So, again, I'm going to read the proposed amendment. I'm going to talk about um, each challenge through the petitioner's petition for review and then talk about the issues that Ron raised through his testimony. And I'm going to listen. This is good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, if you have any questions or anything to okay. say, please, sure. by all means, Absolutely. chime in. I don't appreciate the fact that you told the listeners that I had tiramisu for lunch. It was out of necessity because you wouldn't let me eat lunch. Yes, I'm a tyrant. Okay. So, again, the proposed amendment says, and let's count each actual um, what would you say, a verment? So shall the Pennsylvania Constitution... A Look at you talking like a lawyer. What do you want to say? Point. Point. Item. <laughs> thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Shall the Pennsylvania Constitution be amended to grant certain rights to crime victims, including, one, to be treated with fairness, respect, and dignity. Two, to consider their safety in bail proceedings. Three, Timely notice and opportunity to take part in public proceedings. Four, reasonable protection from the accused. Five, right to refuse discovery requests made by the accused. Six, restitution and return of property. Seven, proceedings free from delay. And eight, it was eight, not nine, to be informed of these rights so they can enforce them. So that's eight different points put in one question on the voter's ballot for next Tuesday. What are the points that are most problematic? I think uh, the point that is most problematic that sticks out to me is right to refuse discovery requests made by the accused. Why? Well, we'll get to that. Oh, let's, all right. Let's just go. I, I want to give all a little right. more background. I'll, I'll continue listening. It's not in my nature. <laughs> so one of the... The, the first point of the petition for review, which is basically the pleading where the petitioners say, these are our issues, Commonwealth Court, Appellate Court, and these are the issues we need you to hear and consider. The first point is that the ballot question violates Article 11, Section 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution, which states, in relevant part, that, quote, when two or more amendments shall be submitted, they shall be voted upon separately. So you can see facially how there's eight different amendments within one that are voted upon as a group. And, and it's intentionally, I would submit, made uh, so, so as to have the reader stop after reading the first couple ones. Right. Oh, yeah, crime victims, of course. You know, what kind of a stupid question is this? Crime victims should be treated with dignity. Right. Yeah. So that was, you know, the, the first part. And the other um, issue is, you know, part of that is the proposed amendment impermissibly extends new powers to the General Assembly in violation of the Constitution and patently and substantially amends multiple existing constitutional articles and sections, including Article 1, Section 9, which is what Pete was referring to at the outset of our uh, podcast session or our episode. Article 1, Section 9 states generally an accused right to be confronted with witnesses against him, um, the right to compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in the accused's favor, 
and the right to be free from being placed in jeopardy for the same offense twice, double jeopardy. So that's a pretty important constitutional right for anybody accused of a crime. Uh, the other constitutional articles and sections that it implicates is Article 1, Section 14, which is the general right of the accused to bail. Article 4, Section 9, which is the governor's power to, among other things, commute sentences and grant pardons. So that was Miss, uh, Miss Hawes' issue because she wanted her case to be pardoned, and that particular section would be implicated by this proposed amendment. Article 5, which is the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania's power to prescribe general rules governing practice procedure and the conduct of all courts. But the two that I think would practically pertain to us the most would be Article 1, Section 9, confrontation right, compulsory process, um, double jeopardy, and the right uh, to bail. Article 1, Section 14 would be the most important. Yeah, and I mean, just practical concerns, and I didn't read Ron's uh, testimony, but first of all, it, there is a crime victims uh, bill already, right? right? Crime victims legislation, which I imagine encompasses a lot of the things that they put in here about treated with fairness and respect. I know that prosecutors now are currently obligated to um, uh, discuss a resolution of a case with the victim uh, before um, the the case is disposed of by agreement. Um, Which means, can we translate that, before a prosecutor gives a plea offer or agrees to a plea? The you're the one that's using words like a vehement, but go ahead. <laughs> the the alleged victim or the victim of the crime has to be okay with that that outcome. That's what Pete means. I thought I was not even talking like a lawyer. Um, and it's, to have the safety of the victim and the victim's family considered in fixing the amount of bail, how is that not already right. in, a, in the bail calculations? It is. It's, it's redundant. And that's Rule 523, right, of the oh, rules look at of you, citing rules. criminal like procedure. It. Well, yeah. the bail rules require that any judge take into consideration the offense characteristics and the offender characteristics when rendering a decision Including on bail. Including danger to the community. Last I checked, the victim is part of the community, right? Exactly. And, yeah. you know, bef we're going to get to this point, but I think it's really interesting how Marcy's Law even came about, and I want to end on that. Oh, so okay. stay tuned for that Because I'm not part. even sure. I, I, I will stay tuned. I know. It's actually yeah, really interesting. I can't leave anyway. I and think it makes the door's me. locked. Um, <laughs> False imprisonment. <laughs> but this an another another practical concern, to be present at all public proceedings involving the criminal or delinquent conduct. So we have what's called a, a, a called list or status conference. Does the alleged victim need to be at a status conference? We have a... Well, they're public anyway. They could go. No, they're but not... the point is that we're going to... Th these hearings are going to be delayed. They're going to be continued. Can you oh. imagine a call to list if you have 100 cases called and they have 100 victims in the, in the courtroom because they all be want to attend? It's insane. I mean, it, it, to the extent that a case is going to be resolved, I understand that. I just don't understand. And maybe this all generates out of mistrust for certain prosecutorial entities in certain large cities. Um, and I think, to me, that's what this reads of. It's like a, a reaction to, you know, perceived um, uh, no, it's, uncaring it's... large prosecutor office, pro prosecutorial uh, bodies. But the point is that this stuff is all intuitive. Well, yeah, and it's, I don't... I mean, maybe upon reading it, it, it might look like that reaction, but in looking at the history of how this even came about, it's just a result of money. Oh, all right. 
so so it, there, there are a couple problems. One is when does somebody become a victim? They don't become a, a victim until there is a finding that the defendant, the accused, committed a crime. And what this is doing is treating someone as a victim as opposed to an alleged victim which until such time, at, which means that you're presuming the person's right. guilty. So am I not talking like a lawyer there? I mean, you know, you, you're accused of a crime and all of a sudden they're saying, well, the victim needs to be here. The vic whoa, 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 whoa. I haven't, I haven't admitted I did anything wrong. I haven't been found to do anything wrong. Aren't I presumed innocent under the Pennsylvania and, and United States constitutions? So that's problem one. Um, additionally, this is really uh, the effect of this is going to be to basically um, have the accuser or alleged victim um, control the disposition of a criminal case. One of the things that I differentiate, for instance, having practiced in some other areas where there's either money at issue or family law issues at, at, at issue, it's much more personal, right? You have one person on one side of the litigation uh, and one person on the other side of the litigation um, that can't stand each other and they're butting heads and it, it becomes uh, extremely um, uh, emotional and, and emotion-driven. Criminal law, having done it for, for a long time, um, is not like that. There's a, a buffer between my client, the alleged bad guy, and the alleged victim. We're lawyers. We're trying to resolve a case. We're looking at the law. We're taking into account the, the constitutional protections. We're taking into account the rules of evidence. This is going to be a, I mean, if we, am I allowed to curse? Go ahead. It's a shit show. This I is know. going to be a shit show. Well, and, and another way to put that is it's already hard enough. The presumption of innocence, although it's codified in our constitutional safeguards, it's not that practical these days. So we already have a, a steep mountain to climb, and this would make it almost vertical. Mm -hmm. um, so count two of the petition for review, and this goes back to what we were talking about. The ballot question violates uh, Article 11, Section 1, because the question does not contain the actual text of the proposed amendment. The proposed amendment is actually pretty lengthy. Um, and that is why when you have eight different items in a proposed ballot, they want, you, they want it to be distinguished so that you can vote on each individual item. And you should also know what the proposed text requires, because there's a lot more to this proposed amendment than what first meets the eye in that ballot question. And count three of the petition for review says the ballot question does not fairly, accurately, and clearly apprise the electorate of the issues because it fails to enumerate all of the rights set forth in the proposed amendment and omits many of the changes that the proposed amendment would have on existing constitutional rights of the accused, which is what Pete just talked about. So our colleague, Ron, uh, testified to the rights of the accused that would be infringed upon by virtue of this proposed constitutional amendment. And one of the things he starts with is citing to the plain language of the proposed amendment, pursuant to the new rights, victims of crime, and anyone directly impacted by those crimes, so the victim's families, or the alleged victim's families, will have the absolute constitutional right, quote, to reasonable protection from the accused or any person acting on behalf of the accused, unquote, that's defense attorneys, their lawyer, their advocate. 
as well as, quote, to refuse an interview, deposition, or other discovery request made by the accused or any person acting on behalf of the accused. That's from the plain language of the actual proposed amendment that is not on the ballot. And that- So, I mean, explain how the practical, explain in non-lawyer speak, how that would uh, implicate or how that would impact uh, representation of somebody who's accused of a crime and, and is not, uh, and is presumed innocent. Well, generally, that means that the, the alleged victim could cite to a privacy interest and say, no, I don't want to answer that question. No, I don't want to produce that evidence. No, I don't want to testify. No, you can't make me testify. And no, I'm not going to answer those questions because I have an absolute constitutional right not to. Right. Or there's a exculpatory evidence that um, that we know or that we suspect exists, you know, um, uh, an email saying, I, I made up the whole thing. You know, the, the defendant didn't do anything. Uh, well, under the Crime Victims uh, uh, Constitutional Amendment, I don't have to turn over any of that stuff. And that's what uh, Ron testifies to. So, oh, really? Yeah. Great minds yeah, think yeah, alike. Yeah. So he says the new constitutional provisions uh, will essentially eviscerate defense attorneys' ability to effectively represent clients, and it'll throw the criminal justice system into turmoil. And here's how it will do that. It will basically halt our ability to obtain discoverable material, which is part of the compulsory process guaranteed under Article One, Section 9 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. So one of those things he talks about is the immediate steps that we as defense attorneys take to preserve crucial evidence as part of our investigations. And if not obtained as soon as possible, the evidence can be lost forever. A lot of that is um, emails, social media, any anything that is basically on that's electronic, uh, text messages, medical or financial records, cell phone data, security videos. Um, and the other thing that Ron testifies to and is true is that defense counsel cannot simply rely on the good faith efforts of the Commonwealth to conduct. <laughs> did he say that without laughing? I don't know, but it's is one it, of the it's footnotes. a transcript? Was I don't have the audible transcript. Audible laughing? No, I don't have the transcript. I just have the opinion. Mm. Um, and it says it very nicely. Mr. Greenblatt correctly asserts that, yeah, I mean, this is a formal way of saying it. But basically, mm -hmm. we can't trust our opponent, our adversary, to make sure that they decide which evidence is material or relevant right. or helpful to material the Material is in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. Um, oftentimes, practically what that looks like, just so you know, the discovery process. When we ask for discovery in the Commonwealth, gives us discovery, when we go through that discovery or through our own investigation, we recognize that there are missing items. And a big part of preparing a case is making sure that we have those items, that those items are secured and given to us, and that they're not destroyed. If they are destroyed, that implicates a whole new ballgame of issues for the case. That's Brady material, the materially exculpatory evidence against the client and that can be for a different podcast but it's a big deal when there's evidence against your client that could either help or hurt for the client to make an informed decision and for the lawyer to analyze the case properly they have to be able to see and understand that material so that's part of it and Ron also cites to uh, the proposed amendment as written um, victims of crimes, alleged victims, or anyone else who has been directly impacted by the crime. So that could be witnesses, 
alleged What if you steal from a bank? What do you mean? Then every single customer of the bank was affected uh, by your stealing from the bank. Right, but they have, everybody would have the absolute right, right. every single witness, yeah. right? Any You'd have witness. to build bigger courtrooms. Yes, they would. They'd have to, that would take a lot of tax dollars. So, <clears throat> any, any victim will immediately have the absolute right to refuse an interview, deposition, or other discovery requests made by the accused. So that's what I was talking about, and they could say, no, I don't, I don't want to talk about that, it's private. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Um, victims of crimes, anyone else who's been directly impacted by crimes will have the right to refuse to produce requested evidence, um, and they can cite to their absolute constitutional right to privacy that is, quote, to be treated with fairness and respect for the victim's safety, digni- dignity, and privacy. This is really dangerous. Yes. But the problem is that the, you know, the way that the amendment reads, it, it facially makes sense to the, the voting public, right? Right. And in practical terms, they're hiding um, all the, the problems that are, that are uh, going to be caused and all of the constitutional concerns that it raises by throwing it all into one ballot question. So I'm hopeful that the injunction will, you know, lead ultimately to the vote, which I have no doubt. I bet it's 70-30 for Marcy's Law. What do you think? Oh, yeah, because people are going to read the first line, yeah. as is human nature. Mm-hmm. This isn't critical of anybody. The the ballot yeah. question as written is misleading. So I'm hopeful that notwithstanding that vote, that that uh, litigation proves uh, that, that it never is certified. I think that's the way I understood the, the injunction. And, and really, the crux of this is the alleged victim's absolute constitutional right to be treated with fairness and respect for their privacy. They can just invoke their privacy right, their absolute privacy right at any stage. Dude, they brought out Kelsey Grammer for this. Did you see that commercial? I keep hearing about this commercial, but I haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. Music in the background. He had some awful things happen to his family. But, uh... Well, yeah, so I, did the guy who started Marcy's Law. Oh, all right. Segway. Okay. Well, the last two points, and we already hit on them, but um, a guilty plea. I just be... gave you a segue. The heck with those two points. I know. I just oh, want to be as right. thorough as possible. You're so thorough. Um, it, the, the last couple of points I just want to touch upon. A guilty plea has to be knowing, intelligent, and voluntary. And if you don't have all of the evidence against you, then it can't be knowing, intelligent, and voluntary by virtue of just not having the information. Uh, and also it would impede an accused's right to a speedy trial. It would totally clog the courts. So the injunction says that the harms would be immediate if this uh, proposed amendment was certified, and that is why the courts said it will not be, regardless of the votes. For now. For now. Um, So let's talk about where Marcy's Law comes from. I found this to be fascinating. Uh, Marcy's Law came from... A billionaire family in California, Henry Nicholas. Uh, He is a billionaire and founder of the software company Broadcom. Uh, He's also been recently convicted of white-collar crimes and drug crimes, so I don't know if that's a company. It's ironic. Yeah. Um, So Marcy's Law didn't start with the grassroots movement, as one might think, but instead started and has been almost unilaterally funded by this billionaire. And his whole goal started in California because his, I think it's his sister, um, 
yeah, I think it was his sister was murdered in California. And so he proposed this law in California. I'm not sure if they have the same Pens uh, Crime Victims Act that we do in Pennsylvania. But then he has been advocating for the last couple of decades for Marcy's Law to be in 50 states. Did it work in California? I believe so. Yeah. I'd have to look back on that. I was more focused on Pennsylvania. Um, but it has been passed and instituted in about a dozen states so far. Uh. And in Pennsylvania, uh, there was about $6 million raised in Marcy's Law effort, and it was raised from his own foundation. There are no other donors to Marcy's Law. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. And, um, Not even Kelsey Gramner? In Pennsylvania? Yeah. I don't, I don't know in oh, Pennsylvania. I'm, I'm referring to, there's an article. I was being sarcastic. In the Pittsburgh City paper from October 22nd talking about this. Uh, but the League of Women Voters of Pennsylvania, and that's one of the petitioners in the Commonwealth Court case, said that more than $102 million has been spent advocating wow. in other states to pass the law. And this guy, Nicholas, has contributed 97% of that amount. So Man. really, who's that interested in this, in this proposed amendment? It's one guy, one guy's family. Um, in 2008, he, Nicholas, and other Broadcom, his company's executives, were indicted on stock fraud for an alleged scheme where the company misled shareholders about how much it was paying employees by fabricating information about stock options. Those charges were dropped, and he also had a drug charge in 2010 that was dropped and a drug trafficking charge in 2018, and he took a plea deal in August of 2019, so recently. Yeah, I think it was like to possession or something. And he, this guy is worth $3.6 billion. So he just basically goes from state to state trying to enact Marcy's Law. Without I think, listen, I think it's well-intentioned, but... Um, it's unnecessary and it is in contravention to constitutional protections for people who are accused of crimes. And I think it's unfortunate that it's even um, that it's even believed to be necessary because a lot of this stuff, you know, it's in the hands of prosecutors mm -hmm. um, to keep a, a victim informed, to, to have a victim uh, aware or a victim's family. Because they only call them victims. They don't use the word alleged like we do. Um, and it, it should be part of their practice. Uh, I, I don't understand the necessity of it. Well, I, I don't know that I think it's well intended, especially if you're coming to a place like Pennsylvania where you don't know the laws. There's the Pennsylvania Crime Victims Act that already affords victim protection and establishes rules for crime victims. You don't without any regard to that, I don't know what the intention is other than... Well, I mean, it's because they think that, that uh, alleged victims or victims don't get enough protection in the courts, that they are excluded, that their voices aren't heard. That's what I mean by it's well-intended. I don't think there's any other agenda behind it. If the guy wants to spend all his money on... Well, not all his money, because apparently he has a lot of money, but if he wants to spend a lot of money on, on victims' rights, I get it. It's just it's not a very well-thought-out uh, piece of... Uh, of legislation that amends our Constitution, which is a pretty huge deal. Right, and that's what I'm saying, especially the, those in Pennsylvania in support of it and who know of the Pennsylvania Crime Victims Act should know better. Yeah, our well, governor. Mm -hmm. you know? He's a politician. Wow. So 
And basically, that is Marcy's Law. That is what's going to be on the voter ballot on November 5th. Um, Vote? No. Who are they going to listen to, Kelsey Gramner or me? I don't know. What do we have, like five listeners? We have hundreds. Oh. I know. I got the numbers. I'm pretty sure Kelsey's going to win that battle. Probably, but, you know, anybody listening, please take a moment to be informed about, about Marcy's Law, what it would do. And as we told you in one of our earlier episodes, we represent regular people who are accused of crimes. And you never know when that's going to be you or your friend or your family. And you want to make sure that the rights for all are not, you know, compromised by something that doesn't necessarily need to happen at all. And in non-lawyer speak, Mm -hmm. the playing field already isn't level. This is going to make it even uh, much more difficult to protect the interests of people accused of crimes. I think I called it vertical. Oh, well, that's too cynical. Well, if Marcy's Law were enacted, I think it'd be pretty vertical. It wouldn't be just an uphill climb. Mm. Well, we'll deal with it if if it's passed, but let's hope it's not. All right, so take some time and look into what you're voting for. Signing off. Goodbye.